0: Ephesians chapter 5 tonight, Ephesians chapter 5 is where Paul speaks and addresses specifically what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I believe that will help give us greater clarity on that topic. Throughout the epistles and in particular the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about how believers should walk. Obviously not talking about our physical gait, but rather talking about how we should be living. And I won't take time to read all of them, but it's a good study to look at on your own. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 10. um, Chapter 4, verses 1 and 17. And then in our chapter tonight, chapter 5, uh, verses 2, 8 and 15. uh, He talks about that. And then throughout Ephesians, he also makes a series of different contrasts. Um, Contrast: you were once this, but now you are this. And that happens... Uh, Again, in Ephesians 2, verses 2, 3, and 4, 11, and 13, and in our chapter, chapter 5, verse 8, he says, For you were, at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He makes another contrast, and he says, You are not this, but you are this. Uh, He says that in chapter 4, verse 28, chapter 5, verse 11, and there are many more examples of this throughout the book that you can look up on your own. But Paul's making a strong argument throughout this epistle, um, helping believers understand the difference between who you were versus who you are. And the difference that it makes in how you used to live versus how you live now. And that's what he's doing in our passage here tonight in, chapters, in verses 15 through 21 of chapter 5. He says in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise... ...but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Note again the contrast of how believers are to live, not as unwise, but as wise. And again, verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then Paul makes an interesting contrast about how we should live in verse 18. And he states, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And although we, most of us probably understand what he means by not getting drunk with wine, um, the word debauchery is not commonly used in our conversations today. Uh, That word, if you look it up, uh, is defined as extreme indulgence in bodily pleasures and especially sexual pleasures. So Paul then gives a description of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit in verses 19 through 21. But notice verse 19 and verse 21, both are bracketed with the phrase, one another. That's because this is a description of what a Spirit-filled church looks like. This describes how we are to relate to one another in the church body. In fact, if you want to look at it further on your own, what we're focusing on tonight is 15 through 21 is a description of a spirit-filled church. If you look at the next section in verses 22 to 33, Paul addresses wives and husbands and talks about what a uh, spirit-filled marriage looks like. And then in chapter 6, he addresses children and fathers and discusses what a spirit-filled family looks like. And so we see what spirit filling looks like in the context of relationships with believers in our church, with husbands and wives in marriage, with fathers and children in our families and so to answer the big question tonight what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? well we're going to focus in on the contrast in verse 18 it says is being drunk with wine now being drunk was a problem in Paul's day, it's a a problem in our day today and I don't know how many of you would, would have experience with knowing um, or been around someone who was drunk. I remember growing up in my public high school, um, seeing guys come to school who were intoxicated. Um, in the years of even trying to help men who came to our church from a rehab, who had struggled with alcohol. And at times, coming and trying to help them, we would find them, and they would be drunk. Um, and it's not pretty. If, if, if you've been around someone who's in that state, um, it's not funny. It's not, uh, it's not a fun thing to be around. Um, in fact, if you ask yourself, how, how does being drunk affect a person? Well, you'd say it affects the whole person, right? Uh, the legal term for driving drunk is what? D-U-I, driving under the influence. Because alcohol influences the whole person. It controls every aspect of your being. It affects... It affects your vision, it affects your mind, it affects your reaction time, uh, your speech, your balance, your decision making, your inhibitions, your whole body and mind are affected. And that's the illustration that Paul is using of how the Holy Spirit does and what when he comes to fill us. He wants to affect every aspect of our lives. He affects how we see, how we think, how we make decisions. And so the the command here is be filled. And it's not obvious in the English, but that's a, a present passive imperative. In other words, it's, it's a command to allow the Spirit to control us. We are to let the Spirit reign to control us. I'm sorry, to reign in our hearts and lives. We are to submit to his influence in our lives. But you might ask the very good question, but how does that happen? Well, if you ask some people, they describe the Holy Spirit as... A good luck charm that you can call on when you want to win a TV game, as we saw in the video. Um, if you ask others, they, may, they might describe it as a, a mystical experience that takes over your mind and body and, and might even cause you to do crazy things, like was pictured in the video that we watched earlier. But as a side note, the book of Ephesians was one of the later epistles written that Paul wrote, probably around 60 A.D., And by this time in church history, if you look and read, you don't read about Paul talking about the need for speaking in tongues or miraculous gifts in the church at all. And I invite you to come back next Sunday to hear Pastor Walker as he will address that topic more fully for us. But how does the Holy Spirit fill us? How does the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us and and control us? Well, first looking at the passage in Ephesians 5, it says in verse 18... Be filled with the Spirit. And then it continues in verse 19, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And verse 20, giving thanks always. Now there's a parallel passage in Colossians 3 where the same person, Paul, was giving those believers in Colossae the same challenge. But the wording is slightly different. If you look at Colossians 3, I'll read it for you, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If you look at both passages, both passages talk about wisdom. Both passages talk about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And both passages talk about being thankful to God. The difference in that in Ephesians, he says to be filled with the Spirit, but in Colossians, he commands them to let the word of Christ dwell in them because they are the same thing. How was the word of God written? Men, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the word of God. The Holy Spirit uses Scripture to lead us. The Holy Spirit uses the objective truth in the Bible to teach us and to guide us. He brings to mind the truths that we know to help us as we guide and go through our lives and make decisions. At times, he confronts us with these truths and we have to make a decision whether or not we're going to um, submit in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit and allow him to fill us and control us or at times when he brings to mind what we should do Sometimes in disobedience we say no to the Holy Spirit and we do what we want in our own flesh and we disobey the Holy Spirit and follow our sinful, fleshly desires. Paul talks about this tension in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 18. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit, same concept, same understanding, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But, he then continues, if you're led by the Spirit, and he goes on to contrast the works of the flesh versus the works of the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul makes it clear, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you want to be controlled by the Spirit, you want to be led by the Spirit, we must learn and know and memorize the Word of God. When we neglect the word of God, we starve the Holy Spirit. We disarm it from having the control it wants to have in our minds and in our hearts. And truthfully, shame on us as believers, myself included, when we complain to God about his spirit not leading us and not helping us. Meanwhile, we neglect the power that he wants to give us by not studying his word. For whatever reason, believers have desired and sought out subjective and emotional experiences instead of the objective truth found in God's Word. I believe that's why more and more uh, churches today are pursuing the big concert light like experience to attract believers and their service become 80% awesome music concert and maybe 20% Bible truth. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having excellent music. We should. We should strive and desire to do all things with excellence, including our music. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having an emotional experience. The truth, the truth of God's word is powerful. And when that, when that power of the truth hits us, it, it, can, it impacts our thinking. We, we will have emotional responses. We'll have um, godly sorrow. We'll have godly joy and all sorts of emotions when the truth of God impacts our thinking and our lives. However, we end up with anemic Christianity without truth, without a healthy knowledge of God's Word to stand strong during the challenges we face in our lives. And without a knowledge of God's Word in our hearts and minds, when we're faced with challenges in our society, whether it's on the topic of abortion or homosexual marriage or transgenderism or any of the, the things that we're challenged with in today's society. How are we surprised when church after church caves into the pressure to follow our society's morals versus God's word? So we're commanded to allow ourselves to be filled with the spirit. And as we noted earlier, Paul continues in verses 19 to 21, and he tells us what it looks like to be a spirit-filled church. So what does a spirit-controlled, spirit-led person look like? Well, there are four participles that describe a spirit-filled believer in verses 19 through 21. You see it in verse 19, addressing one another. Again, verse 19, singing and making melody. Again, in verse 20, giving thanks. And in verse 21, submitting to one another. So we're going to look briefly at what this looks like in the life of the church. Verse 19, he writes, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As I mentioned earlier, Paul uses the same description of the music ministry in Colossians 3.16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The ESV uses uses the term addressing one another. Um, Other translations use the term speaking to one another. But it's clear that singing and speaking of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is a significant ministry that we have noticed to each other. When we gather together in our worship service, we have an important responsibility to each other. When we gather for our worship services, um, not only does it underline the importance of singing good songs and having good content and good quality songs in our services, but it also reinforces the importance that our singing serves in ministry to each other. As we sing songs containing the truth of Scripture, we're, we're reminding each other, of those truths and re- reinforcing those truths to each other. I mean, how many of you have ever had a song get stuck in your head? Uh, for good or for bad. Uh, sometimes it's a song that, that comes across the, uh, the sound system while you're in a store. Uh, other times it's a song that you've heard at a program. I don't know how many of you were at the kindergarten program this past Tuesday. I ran the the live audio for that, and I don't know if you've been struggling with the song um, "Rise Up, Children, Celebrate." It's a wonderful day and a beautiful—I'm sorry—wonderful world and a beautiful day. Um, If you were here, that song has plagued me till today. Um, (laughs) Great song, little catchy little tune, but it's been stuck in my head since. (laughs) And the power of music to help us memorize and remember God's word is an awesome tool that God has given us. It's it's a valuable and powerful ministry that we have to, again, to each other when we come together and sing those truths here at church. Secondly, Paul says another aspect of being spirit-filled is singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's easy for us to read these passages quickly and And gloss over the distinctions that Paul makes here. In in the first part of the verse, he refers to the ministry we have when we sing to each other. Here, he's making the distinction of singing and making melody to the Lord and with our heart. Paul knows that a second natural outflow of the Holy Spirit filling and controlling and leading us is that from our hearts will flow praise and worship to the Lord. Our singing helps us learn and memorize and reinforce in our hearts and minds the the Bible truths we're singing, but it also ministers to others and outflows in worship to the Lord. And then Paul then tells us that a third aspect of being spirit-filled is shown in our thankfulness. Notice verse 20 says, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Verse 20 could be a message in and of itself. Because giving thanks is not natural. What is natural is being unthankful. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that unthankfulness is is a character of the, the natural sinful heart. Paul tells us that part of submitting to the Spirit is being thankful. Not just being thankful, but being thankful always. Not just being thankful always, but being thankful always and for everything. Not just being thankful always and for everything, but being thankful always and for everything to God the Father. That doesn't happen naturally. I don't know, I would say that those that are here that have young children, especially babies, know this very well. Uh, Babies are some of the most sinful, unthankful creatures there are as cute as they may be, they do nothing but sleep, eat, and go to the bathroom. Parents do everything for them. They bathe them, they dress them, they feed them, they carry them and all of their stuff around and change their diapers. Yet what do they do the moment they're hungry or they mess their diaper? Yeah, exactly, they cry, right? And what is the first word that they, that they learn to say? Is it thank you? No. It's mommy, if they force them, or more, or again, but it's not thank you. See, a work of the Spirit in our hearts is seen when we recognize the goodness and greatness of God always and for everything, and we express that to him. And the fourth aspect that we see in a person who is Spirit-filled is seen in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Similar to the previous three, submitting to one another is a supernatural work and an outflow of us first submitting to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. See, natural, natural to our sinful heart is me first, thinking of only me, attitude. Paul tells us that when our minds and our hearts are saturated with the Word of God, we will be able to submit to other believers. But note where that submission is rooted, We are able to put others first, we are able to humble ourselves to their needs, even their direction, because it says, out of reverence for Christ. Our thoughts of the Savior, who he is, what he has done for us, so move us and inspire us that that we are able to be low, humble, and submit to those around us. And in light of our previous studies, I think it's significant to note and see how the Trinity is involved in our spirit-filled lives. If you look at the passage, the Holy Spirit filling enables us to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father. And so tonight I believe it's very fitting as we talk about being spirit-filled and how that ministry works and outflows Among us, as we minister to each other, being spirit-filled believers, we're going to take some time to remember Christ's work and celebrate his sacrifice for us by having the Lord's Supper. And uh, if if you've had communion with us before, uh, you know that we practice open communion. So that means if you are a believer, you are invited to practice with us today. First corinthians eleven uh, twenty four says, "Do this in remembrance of me." and again in verse twenty five of first Corinthians eleven he says, Paul says, "Do this in remembrance of me. Our Lord calls us to celebrate the lord's Supper that we might remember the, the world recognizes the power and purpose of remembering. When we, if you've been to Washington, D.C., you see the, the many memorials there, and often inscribed on the memorial, it'll say, to remember the men and women who sacrificed and, and gave their lives. And why? Because in remembering, there is power. In remembering, there's power. It motivates and it moves us. When we remember those who have fallen before us, It motivates us to be thankful for their sacrifice. Tonight, we remember the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that it might motivate us and move us. And we follow the the pattern that's given to us in 1 Corinthians 11 in celebrating the Lord's Supper. Before we get there, is there anyone that did not receive one of these as you came in that would like one? Um, If there is, just raise your hand. We have some in the middle and... And Ted will get that to you. And I apologize. I'll give him a, a moment to do that. And as we're getting those, I'm going to ask uh, Dennis and uh, Tim Ravert if you'd come forward to, to help me. I've uh, got the uh, handheld mic there in the front pew. Just keep your hand up and um, if you didn't, if you need one of those yet, Hey Dave, we've got. Um, I'm sorry. Is there is there anyone yet? Put your hand nice and high. We got one more. All right, we'll get Julian taken care of here. All right. As as I mentioned, we follow the pattern given to us in 1 Corinthians 11 in celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to ask Dennis if you would uh, thank God for the broken body of our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we take this opportunity tonight to say thank you. Thank you with grateful hearts for the love that you demonstrated for us before we even knew you. You sent your Son to take upon himself our sins and The nail to the tree. Thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this opportunity that we could go back to that time in our life and remember where we were and what you did for us. With humble hearts, we say thank you. Thank you for Jesus, whom having not seen, we love. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and 24 read, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you would peel off that lid exposing the little wafer. Do this in remembrance of me. would you thank god for the blood of jesus heavenly father lord we just we thank you for your shed blood the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins lord father and we just thank you that uh for every one of us that uh, names you as our savior lord that uh your blood has been applied to our account lord um, that that you see us through the righteousness of your Son, Lord, I, I, Father. I just thank you for all that uh, for all that that means for us, uh, Father. I just pray that um, we would just uh, live our lives in light of that fact, uh, and I thank you for it in the Lord Jesus' name. I pray, Amen. Amen. In verses 25 and 26 of First Corinthians 11, read. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes if you would peel off the cover over the juice you can drink this cup It is our practice after celebrating the Lord's Supper that we take a deacon's offering. Uh, These monies are not used for the cost of running the ministry, uh, but rather they're used to meet the needs of those people in our ministry and sometimes even outside of our ministry uh, to help meet and and to help them and minister to them. If you didn't come prepared to give tonight, uh, you can go on the website and uh, give online and just select the deacon's offering and give that way. Or at any time, really, you can give an offering and just designate that for the Deacons Fund. But if men, if you come forward at this time, I'm going to pray. And then while we are having the offering, Dave's going to lead us in a song. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful tonight for your word. Forgive us for not knowing it better, for not spending the time to study and... Uh, memorize and know it better. But Lord, we ask for your help, that as we desire to be spirit-filled, spirit-led people, we desire that you would help us to be people that are people of your word, that uh, we would be controlled as we submit our lives to you and, and the spirit and your word, that uh, we would be a church that goes forward, honoring and accomplish your, accomplishing your will because of that. We thank you for this opportunity to give uh, to the Deacons Fund at this time and are thankful for the opportunities that you give us to to meet so many needs with this money. Uh, Please use it and accomplish your will with it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.